Well, you may have guessed by now that we have a guest speaker this morning, and our guest speaker is Celestan Musakura, who you just saw in the video there. And you may have been here about five years ago when Celestan spoke here at Bible Fellowship. Um, it's been quite a while. We actually had a team from this church go over back in 2009, it was, uh, where we went over and did a pastoral training conference over in Rwanda. And uh, Celestan's native country is Rwanda. Um, we became friends when I was in seminary. We attended Dallas Theological Seminary together. Uh, got to know each other there, and it was um, quite a time because when we became friends, it was during the genocide that was taking place in Rwanda uh, back in about, I guess, 1994, 95, 96, um, was when we were together down there in Texas. And um, just when I watched what Celestan went through, um, he was back in the U.S. Um, pursuing his Master of Theology degree at the seminary, but he had been a pastor in Rwanda before that. And when he was in the seminary here in Texas, um, there was one evening that the church that he had pastored for years in Texas, um, gunmen during the genocide came in and murdered the entire church. Um, his parents were in the building. Um, he, I guess it was a brother and sister-in-law and nieces and nephews. Um, so he's experienced a lot of tragedy. But um, when he went to Texas and got his degree from Dallas Seminary, uh, he stayed on to get his Ph.D. there and started a ministry called African Leadership and Reconciliation Ministries. And you could see a little bit of the heart of what their ministry was all about in that video of bringing reconciliation, peace, and forgiveness through the name of Jesus Christ. Um, presently, they're working in about eight countries over in Africa. And we have strategically invited Celestan today because Bible Fellowship Church is embarking. And you're going to hear, starting in April, uh, we're going to be sharing about a significant ministry expansion project that's coming up here at the church. Um, we're going to communicate clearly our vision. Um, you'll notice in recent years, we've added um, a number of new staff members. Uh, we've been just really positioning ourselves to have a greater impact on the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of God, on this area, the community, the region, and the world for Jesus Christ. And you'll be hearing a lot about this expansion project as far as what we will be doing here at the church. Obviously, some of it is facility-related. Um, all the things you're seeing behind me right now are tied in to what's going to happen in the future. So if you picture like what the walls are and the sight lines, well, we are going to be um, planning on removing these two walls on the sides, making this room a little bigger and doing some expansion downstairs and um, some things that will really allow us to further our ministry here at Bible Fellowship Church. But one of the things that we're committed to doing is not just growing as a church on a site like this. Um, we're committed to having a great impact on the kingdom of God around the world. And one of the things we'll be doing is partnering up with ALARM, African Leadership and Reconciliation Ministries. So as um, if everything goes forward and everything is approved by the church family, um, as we do our expansion, some of the money that we'll be raising um, will be going beyond the walls of our church. And one of those partnerships is going to be with ALARM, um, where we'll be helping to train pastors over in Africa. And we're excited about this opportunity. I've been there three times myself. The needs are unbelievable. Um, when you see what these pastors are going through, uh, what they don't have, um, Celestan is going to share some of that with you. But um, you're talking about pastors that, you know, they can't even afford to come to the conference for one week and just what it would cost them is equivalent to probably about a third of their annual salary that they make in, in the pastorate. Um, very, just poverty throughout. Um, and just ministering in unbelievable situations. Um, Celestin will be sharing a little, some of that with you this morning, um, but I just want to um, have us as a church family really committed to say, you know, as, as we're expanding our ministry here 
in Yardley, Pennsylvania, right here on this site, that we want to be a church that has an impact around the world for Jesus Christ. So Alarm is a great partner for us to be doing that. Um, guys, I'll give you a little preview. Um, Celestan is going to be our retreat speaker coming up in October, so it's about eight months away. Um, I'll be bringing him back to preach that Sunday morning that he's here again because we want this partnership to expand. And for us to really, not only is it a financial thing, but we want to be praying for God's work around the world. And now we have this opportunity to target in a little bit on Africa. And um, so we're hoping as a church that we gain a real commitment and a passion to this, for this. Um, I'd like to ask Celestin if he'd come on up now because he's going to be bringing God's word to us this morning. But also personally, um, I've become friends with this whole family. Um, Celestin's married to a wonderful woman named Bernadette. Uh, they have two, two daughters and two sons who are, they keep getting bigger. Every time I see them, I find out they're all different places in the world. But it's, um, it's been great to be friends, and we're looking forward to a partnership in our church and their ministry. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Bob, for the introductions, and uh, I want to say that what Bob did not tell you is uh, how we met in the library. I was struggling with uh, a Greek and English. I'm from Rwanda. I speak in Rwanda. I speak Swahili. When I went to school, I spoke French, and I came to Dallas Seminary. I'm being taught uh, Greek by a guy who is speaking Texan. So Bob became my translator. So <laughs> some of you have been in other foreign countries where you speak and then people translate. That's what uh, Bob was, uh, was doing. And then uh, him and Janet and uh, their kids became uh, good, good friends. And so uh, since then, uh, we have been really uh, close together and uh, uh, have enjoyed serving together, both here but also we spend uh, uh, many days together in Rwanda and in Kenya, so it is always a great honor and privilege for me to be around Bob and, and his family. And, uh, and now, because of that, uh, five years ago, I was here, and uh, I hope it doesn't take five years for me to come back again, because by then, Jesus may be here. So, uh, good morning. How are you? Now, I promise I will try to speak a little bit French, and I hear that you have gift of tongues, so <laughs> I hope you will bear with me, and I promise when I get to heaven, I will speak maybe Philadelphian English. <laughs> uh, let's pray together. Uh, Father, we are in your presence this morning. Uh, nothing can cleanse us, nothing can make us acceptable expect, except the blood that was shed on Calvary, the blood of Jesus. So I pray that even as we share, as we look at uh, this uh, uh, example from the scriptures, that Father, you will teach us what it means to be bridge missionaries, both here in our community, but also beyond our communities. So speak to us and speak to me. Uh, may we become instruments in your hands. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, my um, sharing this morning, I'm going to look at uh, 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 someone who probably you know about. And I like to talk about people uh, because we can relate. Uh, I want to talk about experience because we, all human beings, we experience things and sometimes our experiences uh, are 
similar in some ways, even though we may come from different contexts. Uh, I was uh, reading uh, in the book of Acts, and I began to study some of the people we read from the book of Acts, and uh, one of the persons who made a big impact on my life as I began even to serve and uh, minister and meet people and uh, get challenges of differences and lack of leadership, tribalism, fighting, wars, I began to realize that this Barnabas is a good example of each one of us, how we live, what we live for, and what we look forward to. And so I began to look at uh, Barnabas. If you have your Bibles in uh, Acts chapter 4, we begin actually, that's where we meet this gentleman. And uh, in this chapter 4, we find that uh, Barnabas is introduced to us, but it is not the first time he's known, even though in Acts chapter 4, we read about him, he has been involved in the lives of the disciples before chapter 4. So you may ask me, how do you know? I know because that's what we read. In chapter 4, you find that Barnabas, he is actually given this name. So his name was Joe. Anybody who is called Joe here? I mean, Where is Joe? Joe, where, where are you? Where is Joe? Yeah, Joe, I met Joe this morning. His name was Joe. Read with me so you don't think I'm just talking from Africa, you know. <laughs> Chapter 4, we will actually read verse 36. Joe, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means what? Which means what? Son of encouragement sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So we meet Joe in this context. We meet Barnabas actually not as his full name, but we know him as a nickname. You see, nicknames existed before America existed. <laughs> and nicknames were given according to the character and the life of the people. Because of his generosity, because of his work, the disciples said, from now on, you are not Joe, you are going to be called who? Barnabas. Now, from here now, you don't hear about Joe. Joe, don't lose your name. But you hear about who? Barnabas. And uh, it is my prayer today that by the end of today, each one of us is going to change the name. So that you are called the son and daughter of an encouragement. The son and daughter of reconciliation. The son and daughter of, of grace. Because that's what we begin to see. Now, in this context, now at this juncture, at uh, the chapter 4, what you see, the Bible says, verse 32, all believers lived together, and the Bible says all believers were in one heart and with one mind. No one claimed that anything he had was his own. So there were no selfish Christians. Different from Rwanda today. Christians were the most selfish people in the world. What happened to us? In chapter 4, we are told by Luke that at that time, 
there were nobody, nobody, more believers, they came together, no one claimed that their jacket is their jacket. You know, I have four kids. I saw them grow, and I give them a potato. I ask them to give me the same, mm-mm, mine, mm-mm. Selfish. By this context, the Bible says no one claimed their own proper possessions. But then they give us how life was shared. And so what happened? There were nobody who was needy. There's no one who was rich. Now capitalism came in. We became Americans. This is mine. This is the border. In fact, when I'm driving in Texas, everybody has his own land. Now, if you come to Rwanda, there are no lands. Actually, they are putting because of the influence of Americans. In many countries, nobody has a land. You drive wherever you are. And it is an organized chaos. Nobody hits each other. And so, if I try to get in your land without doing something, you begin to honk. This is my land. Don't come in. In Texas, we shoot each other. <laughs> this is how life has become. So instead of sharing and helping each other, we have drawn from that concept and then we became selfish. Barnabas, the Bible says, he was one of those who began the process of selling all what we ha- they have. So anyway, when we look at Barnabas, I'm going to really challenge all of us, as I am challenged to realize that we need to become bridge missionaries. So Barnabas began his journey by actually considering looking at the needs of others rather than looking at his proper needs. He began by saying, what do I have that other people don't have? And why should I have more when nobody has anything? So a bridge missionary begins by looking beyond their proper needs. The way I was raised up, when I gave my life to Christ, I, had, uh, I was just 17. And two years before then, I had met this white man for the first time in my life. He was a missionary. In fact, when this funny-looking thing came to our village, we thought he was either one of the animals from the bush or one of the ancestors from the graves. <laughs> so we would go and pull his hair and smell him and pinch him and rub to see if the white stuff would come off. <laughs> and then he began to share the gospel. But when I gave my life to Christ, because my family had taught I was a gift from the dead, I grew up sharing shedding blood of animals, slaughtering chicken and the goats, offering to the spirit of the dead, because my family believed that if we offered blood of animals, the dead ancestors, they will give us life. That's how I grew up. In fact, when I was 11 years old, my sister died when she was two weeks old, and I was told she died because I failed to offer sacrifices on her behalf. So from that time when I was 11, I was afraid because I didn't know who was going to die next. And so as I was afraid and and wondering, is my other brother, my other sister, my parents, are they going to die? Suddenly in our village we saw Kyle, K-I-L-E. He was from the conservative Baptist and he was a missionary in Rwanda. And so he began to share the gospel. 
Just like Barnabas, he had left everything in the U.S., he began to realize that there are needy children, there are needy boys, there are needy men and women in Africa, in Rwanda, who are in darkness, and he decided that he would go and preach the gospel. He became a bridge missionary because he realized that there were needs out there. He didn't consider his lifestyle here, his comfort, but he considered the needs of the people. But when I gave my life to Christ, I, was just, I had just finished my first year of high school, and my family said, do not come home anymore. I began a life that I am living today, a life following Jesus Christ, knowing that if he is indeed who the Bible says he is, then he will take care of me. By that age, I didn't know what I know today. I was a new believer. Then, because I was disowned by my own family, I lived in the village without help. In fact, I lived very far. And Bob and the team visited where I grew up in that coffee plantation. And I tell you, I began to beg food. I ate from the garbage. I ate from the trash. It was only this one lady, Mary, who was 69 years old. Mary was in Cleveland, Ohio. She read a letter from this missionary about this skinny, ugly boy who needs help. Mary had no bank account. Mary had no job. She was a widow. She was living on, by the mercy of others. So she began to pray. She prayed that somebody in the church with money will help this skinny, ugly boy in Rwanda. Three months later, she learned that nobody's helping the boy. I am here today because for six years, this is what Mary did. Every morning, in the evening, she woke up. She walked alongside the road. She picked up the trash can. She picked up the cardboard. She went to recycle them. At the end of the month, she would send six or seven dollars to the skinny, ugly boy in Rwanda. Of course, I'm no longer skinny. I've become a fat Baptist preacher. <laughs> but I want to tell you today, if Mary had not done that, I don't know where I would be today. You see, for us to become bridge missionaries, so for us to become bridge missionaries, we need to realize that what we have is greater than what other people have. And so she considered, Mary herself considered that my needs, the skinny, ugly boy, 9,000 miles away, were greater than her own needs. Without hesitating, for six years, she did what she did so that I can be, finish Bible school. I mean, I can finish high school. When I finished the high school, I want to go back home to tell my father and my mother about the real Savior. But I didn't know how. I went to the Congo, to the Bible Institute. So, four years... So it took about seven, eight years without relationship with my family. But I want to tell you, then after Bible school, I went back to my village. I want to tell you my friends, my mother, for the first time she heard about Jesus Christ. And I led her to Christ. She's still alive today. She's eight, seven years old. She loves Jesus. My brother came to Christ. He's a better preacher than I am. My father came to Christ. My sister came to Christ. She's married to a Baptist. Many people in my village came to Christ. Just because of this widow, Mary, who sent six, seven dollars per month for six years. And when I finished the Bible school, she died five days after I finished Bible school. 
I want to tell you, a bridge missionary first must consider the needs of others. If we want to become bridge missionaries, we need to begin like Joe, like Barnabas, that we look beyond our own needs. The missionary Kyle, who led me to Christ, he died three months before I finished Bible school. The two people who matter in my life, they died within three months difference in 1983. But I want to ask you a question. Are they really dead? Physically, they are dead. But spiritually, are they dead? No, because here I am. The skinny, ugly boy who was afraid of white man, now I can stand in front of white men and women. I'm not going to run away. I'm not going even to do this because when I came, I would go and speak in some rural areas and then some boys, I would stay in the families like I would stay with Bob and, and Janet and others and then young girls, young kids. I remember in Iowa, one kid was eight years, she came and she started doing this and then she went to call the brothers and they came to do like this. In my mind, I was saying, they are revenging for what I did. And then one, the, 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 the little girl, she, she looked and said, she told me, excuse me. I said, yes. Do you take shower? <laughs> so I'm not going to run away. But I have become your brothers, your brother. You have become my brother and my sister. But it took Kyle to come to my village. It took Mary. They became the bridge missionaries. They are not dead spiritually because today as uh, uh, we do ministry, even though through struggles, the pastors we are training, many pastors who are not trained, many pastors who teach the wrong thing, not because they want to teach the wrong thing, because they don't have what to teach. They are not being taught. They have not gone to a Bible school. Some of them even don't have Bibles. We are training them every year. Last year, we trained about 13,000 leaders in eight countries. We train more than... 3,000 leaders, government officials, police officers who are Christians, who are living like Christ. All what is happening is because of Mary, is because of Kyle. So when bridge missionaries begin to look beyond their own needs, my friends, the ministry they do, even after they are dead, continue on. So to become a bridge missionaries, we need to begin first by looking beyond our own needs. And so many of us, as I said, like my kids, when they were very young, when I gave them something, I asked them to give me back. They were frowning, they were running, they were, and then they finished, then they come back to ask me again. That's how we have become with God. God gives us blessings. We complain, it's not enough. We complain, we don't even see the needs of other people in our immediate neighborhood. We don't think about the people in China, in uh, Africa, in India. We become so selfish like the kids. And so the church has failed to become a bridge missionary because we have become so selfish, self-centered. That's why the gospel cannot proceed. Secondly, a bridge missionary must seek reconciliation. Now, you see Joe, uh, Barnabas, in chapter 4, he's a model of giving. He sold what he had. He brought it. In fact, in chapter 5, you find other imitators, you know. Ananiah and who? Sapphira. So they were in the church. They saw, you know, Joe sold his land. Why don't we do that? But we keep some of it here. 
You know what happened to them. They told they were deceiving the disciples, but Peter said, you were deceiving who? The Holy One. They died. They are pretending. This was not genuine from their hearts. But you skip a few chapters, you find then Barnabas, he appears in chapter 9. Now, I like this chapter 9 and what went on with, uh, with uh, Paul and, and, and Barnabas. I will give you a, 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 short, a short summary of what happened. In chapter 9, um, we begin to look at uh, Barnabas and uh, verse 27, the Bible says, when he came to Jerusalem, that's Paul, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. Now, they are talking about Paul. You know, Paul, who had been a persecutor, who had been a, a terrible person who was killing Christians on the way to Damascus, God revealed himself to Paul. So what happened to Saul, who became Paul? Saul, so God and God said, why are you persecuting me? And Paul began to say, who are you? I'm not really, I'm only killing this, this funny cultic group that is not following the, Moise, the Moses uh, laws and the orders. And they all say, it's me. When you persecute them, when you kill Christians, you are killing me. And he says, from now on, you are going to actually be mine and you will go through suffering. And Paul, on that road to Damascus, what happened? He was converted. He became a believer. Now, when he became a believer, he became one of the disciples, and then he began to look around. And who helped him? When he met the disciples, they said, no, 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 you are pretending. Huh? We know you. You have killed us. You have... Uh, uh, murdered our, our, our friends. We have run away from you, Paul. You saw. Now you are pretending that our Jesus has revealed himself to you. <laughs> we are not allowing you in our midst. What happened then? Verse 27 says this. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostle. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas, remember, he, had, he was nicknamed who? The son of encouragement. Now, Paul, he cannot be accepted. Paul is rejected because the disciples were afraid. So what happened? It is Barnabas at this point who comes, he tells the disciples, friends, listen to me. Indeed, he was this. But since Jesus met him, he's this. He reconciled. He brought, he spoke on behalf of Paul. And because of that, the disciples then accepted Paul, and Paul was accepted by the rest of the disciples. Let me ask you a question. Had Barnabas not been there, we would not have had all a third of the New Testament because Paul would not have been accepted and therefore rejected. Therefore, we would have missed all what we have from Paul. You see, the son of encouragement, Barnabas himself, he was a man who spoke for those who didn't have a voice. He spoke for those who were excluded. A missionary is a, a Christian must be a bridge missionary by bringing people together, by reconciling people together, and by giving people opportunities 
where opportunities are missing. And in fact, in let alone with this Barnabas ministry of reconciliation, we realize that few weeks later, maybe a few chapters after chapter 9, you read about chapter 13, go back to chapter 13 of Acts, we, we read about Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas had introduced Paul or Saul to the disciples, Saul is accepted, and Paul begins his ministry. Now, in the course of the ministry, then Barnabas and Paul in chapter 13 are sent together and they are sent to preach the gospel. Now, in chapter uh, 13, verse 4 and 5, they are telling us that when they went, now that's Paul and, and uh, Barnabas, when they went, they took John Mark, end of chapter 13, verse 5, they took John Mark. Now, I want you to listen carefully. John Mark is the one who wrote the gospel of Mark. Are we together? You are following me. But John Mark, Colossians tells us that John Mark, Colossians 4.10, Paul, he's telling people to send so and so, and he said, send also John Mark, the cousin of who? Barnabas. Okay, are you following me now? Are we together? Okay, I want to make sure we are together. Are we together? Paul and Barnabas are going to ministry. They are sent by the church, and they go with John Mark. John Mark, in Colossians, we are told John Mark was the cousin of who? Barnabas. Okay, we are together. I'm glad. I'm glad. Now, in chapter 13, verse 13, something happens. John Marx decided to leave. To return where? To Jerusalem. That's chapter 13, verse 13. So they left. They were in Cyprus. They went to the uh, Patos where they spent time ministering. And then when they left to go to Antioch, John Mark, something happens in, in the verses that precede here. Mark, John Mark, decided not to continue with them, but he went back where? To Jerusalem. Now, we don't know, the Bible is not clear what happened, but there are many commentators, there are many people who say they experienced hardship in Patos to the point that John Mark was scared about the mission. And I can understand because I have been beaten up. I have been tortured. At some point I said, Lord, have you deceived me? Why did you call me if I was going to be tortured by my own people killing me? I can understand John Mark. So John Mark decided to go back to Jerusalem. Some other people say, no, John Mark got malaria. Because in the New Testament we read, this Cyprus, the place, they, they had a lot of malaria. It was like in Africa. I don't know if it was mosquitoes. Or, but people, the Bible don't, doesn't tell us what happened, but we know he went back. He deserted the ministry. He was scared. He was weak. His faith maybe became weak. Maybe he began to say, this is not my calling. I'm losing. I'm not getting the, the hamburgers. The, what do you eat here? The cheesesteak and the, the meatballs. And 
the lasagna. He said, this is not for me. He deserted. Now, what happened? If you read, then go to chapter 15. Are you following me? Now, chapter 15, we don't know many things that happened, but if you read the gospel, if you, I mean, if you read the apostles' letters, you, re, you repeat the pieces together. But in chapter 15, verse 36, some time later, I like the Bible, some time later, people think it is about three years later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. So this was a follow-up. Barnabas and Paul, three years later, they came together and said, hey, Barnabas, no, it has been a while since we visited the, the Antioch, the Patos, the Phlegia, and, and maybe Philadelphia, and maybe Yardley. And let's go back to see how the brethren are doing, isn't it? And uh, then... Barnabas says, okay, we will go. But I will take you home. Do you have verse 7? What did Barnabas say? I will take John, also called Mark. So Barnabas said, yeah, Paul, that's, that's cool. Yeah, let's go. And uh, by the way, we are taking the boy who had deserted us, John Mark. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and he had not continued with them in the work. Now, let me tell you, Paul was a stubborn man. Just like some of us. If you disappointed Paul, you disappointed Paul, he will not take you on the journey again. That's who Paul was, actually. Paul was very aggressive. Paul did not tolerate the weakly, uh, weakling Christians who say, oh, I'm not to go there because they will laugh at me. Paul was aggressive. For him, the gospel should have no hindrance. If the Lord is calling us to go to Pamphylia, if we die there, we will die there. Let's go. That was Paul. But Paul missed a point. I will tell you later on. But Barnabas said, no, I give people the second chance. You see the difference between the two. You see, Barnabas, it is not that he was an apotistic. It's not because he was his cousin. You will see later on. A bridge missionary like Barnabas, he doesn't actually see what you are now. He sees what you will become later. Then he will walk with you. Are we together? You see, Paul, look at the current situation. He said, he had deserted us. He went back. I will not take him because I can trust John Mark. Maybe he will abandon us again. And Barnabas said, no, he abandoned us, but let, let us give him a second chance. And then they departed. You know, you, need, you think that uh, conflicts is only among the Hutus and Tutsis in Rwanda, in my country, or the black and white in America, or the Dinka and the Nuwa in South Sudan. Conflicts exist in the church. In fact, when you go back to chapter 5, you begin to see the conflict in the church, and the conflict was based on tribalism in chapter 5. Chapter 5, you see chapter 6, you see what's happening. In fact, when you go back to chapter 6, 
In those days, the number of disciples was increasing. The Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. What's the problem there? The problem is tribalism and, and ethnicity. The, Greek, the Grecian Jews and the Hebraic Jews, they were all Jews, but some had relatives and their fathers were from different tribes and different race. In the church, actually, the conflict began because of tribalism. And that's where the deacons and the elders were brought in. So the deacons and the elders didn't come in to actually teach doctrine. Even though one of them, as you remember, during this conflict, they said, Paul, I mean, the, the disciples say, it's not good for us to sit and dispute food. It's not good for us to do relief. But relief is very important. But let's ask some of us, come on and help to bring relief. They did not say, no, let those widows and orphans, it is not our business. Like some of you think, oh, the, the, the government will take care of our widows and the orphans. No. They said, we will elect men and women full of the Spirit of God and who are capable and who are trustworthy. And so they elected them to resolve the tribal ethnic conflict. Lest you judge us Africans, oh, those Africans, why can they be saved? Why are they tribalistic? Oh, those black people, oh, those white people, oh, those red people. Conflict is normal. The difference is how do you resolve them? For Paul, no second chance. For Barnabas, everybody can change. You see what I'm saying here? The son of an encouragement. And then what we see, they departed. So Paul and Barnabas, actually, the two friends, companion in the ministry, because of how to resolve conflict, for Paul, no chance for the weakling and, and, and the weak believers. For Barnabas, no, we have to give people a second chance. They departed. It doesn't mean they stopped doing the ministry. They did the ministry. What happened in between, we don't know. But I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. What happened in between is told by this short verse. Now, this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Paul is talking about people who have uh, done something He's saying, do your best, he's telling Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Now, Paul is being deserted again. I don't know what was in Paul that people deserted him. I told you Paul was a very stubborn guy. Demas, but the Demas we see he deserted because Demas loved the world. Paul says... Crescens has gone to Galatia, to Galatia, and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get who? Get who? Get Mark. Just finish that sentence. Get Mark to do what? Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. Let alone Mark and Paul got to meet and Paul began to see Mark as he was. Because when Barnabas took Mark, Mark was 
a very fruitful person. He was helpful. He did the ministry well to the point that he connected with Paul again. And then Paul later on, when he was deserted alone uh, uh, in the prison, uh, left without help, who did he turn to? When Demas and the others had abandoned him, who did he go back to? To John Mark. Had Barnabas not been there, what would have happened? We don't know what would have happened to John Mark. We don't know what would have happened to even Paul. By the way, we will not have today the gospel of Mark. You see, Barnabas is not told we don't talk about Barnabas like we talk about the apostle Paul. Barnabas, because he's a bridge missionary, he even doesn't, he's not even known. He doesn't beat the drum, look what I have done. But throughout the scriptures, we see the thread of this man of encouragement who is a bridge missionary, who is seeing the needs of others first, who is seeking reconciliation and giving people the second chance, not abandoning people who they are, but who is mentoring, who is identifying the gifts and talents and mentor them and then give them second chance. You see, a bridge missionary, my friend, you and I need to be this kind of person. We don't give up on people in their first failure. We give them chance. We mentor them. We help them. And who knows later on who they become. I just came back. Um, I returned on Monday. This Monday, I was in five countries for about three weeks. Visiting our staff, meeting some staff. In one of the countries, I met a lawyer who is working in the Supreme Court outside uh, Goma in northern Kivu. You all know what has been going on. The rape capital of the world is Goma. This lawyer, he works in the Supreme Court. We call him Maitre Daniel. He came to me and said, Celestine, I want to tell you something. A lawyer and a preacher, I began to think, oh, what's he going to tell me now? <laughs> he says, I want to tell you that alarm has changed my life. And then I woke up. <laughs> you know. The pride of man, you know. Huh? Alarm has changed your life. And then he began to narrate how he used to live before, how he used not to care about his wife, about his children, about the, 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 the bride and the, the, the corruption, about the, all the kinds of things that he lived in, even though he was a Christian. And then he said, when I was trained by alarm, when I understood as a Christian how I should serve, as a man walking in the Supreme Court, how I should defend the widows whose land is taken away, how I should defend those widows, those women who have been raped and there's impunity, how I should take their case even if I have to die. He said, I changed. My wife can testify that I have changed. My children can tell that I have changed. In fact, alarm staff can tell you that I have changed. So I called Marie-Jeanne, our director, and said, hey, can you tell me more about Daniel? She said, Daniel, he is one of the changed lawyers in this city. He's pursuing the wrong people, the women who have been um, brutalized and raped, and he's pursuing even the soldiers. Daniel, his pastor had said, no, I don't talk to those lawyers. Those lawyers don't listen. It's because he didn't understand how to help them. You see, Daniel is not only changing, but he's training with our staff, training the pastors how to understand the basics of their constitution. The basic how to defend the widows, so the human rights, the rights of those widows and orphans. Daniel, he is an example of those people who were almost like useless, 
Because they were not taught, but after he was taught, Daniel is changing the life. In fact, the court, the Supreme Court has allowed Daniel, if he's going to do something, if Alan caused him to do something, do you know what the Supreme Court said? Alan will take priority than the Supreme Court. Because even the judges in the Supreme Court, they have seen Daniel change things that were not normal. Then I left Congo, I went to Bujumbura, and uh, in one office, uh, when I went to Bujumbura, in uh, one office on uh, 21st of last month, I was wearing a badge with my name on it and alarm, and one at the reception, the lady said, are you from alarm? I said, yes, I'm from alarm. Do you work with the old? The old is our director. I said, yes. Say, don't line up. Your work is very important for us. Just come in. And I have never been embarrassed in my life because I skipped along you. I felt so guilty. Oh, Lord, help me. But when I got to the, the general director, I said, let me tell you, we don't want you to waste time standing on the line because what you are doing is very important. For, what Alam is doing is very important for our, our government. You know, we have been training Christian government officials on how to be Christ-like. You see, my friends, we live in a, a place where Men and women have no clue how to train, how to disciple their people. We have pastors who have never been to Bible school. If we don't train them, they don't know how to disciple the lawyers and the judges, the police officers in their congregations. That's why we have police officers who go to church on Sunday, and Monday they are busy raping women in the village. They are Christians by name. And I've seen some nominal Christians in America too. But at least you guys, you... Go against what you know because each one of you has a Bible, maybe even have five or ten. But some of those pastors don't have anything, so they cannot disciple the people. That's why I'm so excited. That's why I'm always looking for partners, for churches that can support our pastors. It takes $15 to buy a Bible and $15 two, three months salary for those pastors. They can't afford it takes $120, $150 to train them for a whole week with the food, with sleeping, with materials, with a Bible, but that will be five months, sorry, for them. It takes some of you every month to give up your movie and train a pastor. Because we want to encourage this church to be a bridge mission. I want to encourage each member of this church to be a bridge mission who will give chance to the John Marks. Their pastors, their leaders in Africa were making differences because they were given a chance. That's what happened with John Mark. Finally, the last point I want to make is that bridge missionaries matches resources and opportunities. Opportunities, resources. You go back to chapter 11. In chapter 11, something is happening. In fact, when Paul and Barnabas are busy in the ministry, then we read, we are not going to read all the verses from 19 to 24, but I want to pay, you to pay attention to uh, verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. I want you to note that. They were tribalistic. Those who traveled, they thought the message of the gospel was only to be preached to their own kind. I am a Jew, I only preach to the Jew. I am a black, I only preach to black. I am a white, I only preach to a white. I am a Hutu. Do you see what I'm saying here? Tribalistic. The gospel is for everyone, but we try to make it our own. 
We even believe those people for the other tribe will not be saved. Oh, those Hutus cannot be saved. You know, Jesus' blood is not limited to a few. And so what happens again here in verse 30, some of them, however, some few, praise God, there are always few, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went into Antioch and began to speak the Greek, to the Greek also, telling them the good news about Jesus Christ. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. This is a foreign land. People began to grow in Antioch. Non-Jews people began to grow. Now this news reached to Jerusalem, verse 22, and they send who? They send who? Why they send Barnabas? You see, when there were this new thing happening, the gospel has gone even to other tribes. The gospel has gone to other people. Then they send Barnabas because Barnabas, for Barnabas, there was no limit. Remember, it is Barnabas who took Paul and brought the disciples. It is Barnabas who nurtured Mark. It is Barnabas who began to sell his possessions for the church can have something. And then where there was trouble, it is Barnabas. So what happened there, Barnabas went because there was a spiritual growth. Just like the church in Africa is growing so fast, we need many Barnabases. The church in Africa is growing so fast to the point that we don't have pastors to pastor those churches that are being planted. Even those pastors who exist, as I said, they have no tools and no skills. And so Barnabas went to help, and then the Bible says when he got there, he began um, to, to minister, and at, toward the end of the, this portion, during this time, verse 27, some prophet came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine, a severe famine would spread over to the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help to the brothers living where? In Judea. These they send, sending their gift to the, to the elders by who? By Barnabas and who? And Saul. I want you to see this. What did the Barnabas go to do in Antioch? He went for spiritual ministries, isn't it? They were needy spiritually. Now, he's in Antioch. What happens in Judea is a famine, the material, need, material needs. So Barnabas, who had taken this gospel to the Gentile, the resources spiritual resources. Now in his home country, there's a famine. These people who had been given spiritual resources collect the money and they send to Jerusalem the man to buy food with who? With Barnabas and Paul. You see, a bridge missionary is able, is capable to match resources and opportunities. You see what I'm saying here? Barnabas was not one handicapped evangelical who said, I'm here just to preach the gospel. We have many churches, many missionaries who come to Africa. They say, no, we are just here to share the gospel. We don't care about the needy. We don't care about the oppression. We don't care about these women who are raped. But on the other hand, we have people who say, we are bringing the gospel. It's only feeding the poor, feeding the children, and so forth. Those two are wrong. The gospel is both. The gospel is both. 
And God has called us, my friends, to match the resources and the opportunities. And as I conclude, I want to challenge you, what kind of missionary are you? I pray that today you will be called from this service. You will be called the son and daughter of an encouragement. You will become like Barnabas. Always look beyond your own needs. Always bring reconciliation where is brokenness. Always finding the resources and the needs and match them. It's my prayer that today as you go out, you become like Mary. Kyle, the missionary who led him to Christ, and Mary, the lady who uh, died just five days after I finished the, uh, the Bible school, they did not live long enough to see the skinny, ugly boy become a Baptist preacher. Until today, even though they are dead, they are still bridge missionaries. It is because of them that I stand before you today. What you do today counts. It counts now, it counts tomorrow, and it counts after you are dead. What are you going to leave behind when all is over? What kind of bridge are you? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you because you have called each one of us as your followers, as disciples, that we not only enjoy our salvation, sit and warm these pews and enjoy life, but we begin to think about ourselves and the needs of others. I pray that my brothers and my sisters in this church, in this community, will become bridge missionaries who will look beyond their personal needs, who will work to bring reconciliation where there's brokenness in their families, in their communities, and who will give second chance to those undeserving boys and girls in their communities. I pray that, Father, we all together, we look at the resources we have and the needs around us, we match those resources and opportunities. Because when all is done, in your presence, what counts is what we have done, which will last for eternity. Not the materials we have gathered here, but what we have gathered for the kingdom. We thank you for Joe. We thank you for Barnabas. May we all become sons and daughters of an encouragement. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. You are dismissed. <laughs> Bob told me to tell you you are dismissed. So. It's